Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Many of you uh, have heard of the Bible commentator and theologian Matthew Henry. He he was born in the mid-1600s and lived until 1711. His commentary is probably in more pastors' libraries across denominations than just about any other. His commentary is so common and so widely accepted that it is available online for free. Anybody can read it. I don't know a lot about him or his life, per se. I do have his commentary in more than one, uh, in more than one place, actually. And I don't know, like I said, about much about his life or about him, but I do know that he kept a diary, and after he had experienced the real-life trauma of being robbed. It's said that he penned these words in that diary. He said this, Let me be thankful. Again, this is after he was robbed. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it wasn't much. Fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. See, we live in a culture where thankfulness can be difficult to find. I mean, you can't swing a cat without hitting somebody who is inherently negative or unthankful. It's the easiest thing in the world to relax our attitude in a way that opens the door for murmuring, complaining, fault-finding, and just living in a way that never sees the good. Church, that's no way to live. Especially when we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe. We serve the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us from the curse of the law and has freed us from the power of sin and death. We serve an awesome God. He's done great things for us. Yeah, there's... (laughs) He has done great things for us. Hallelujah. I mean, there's no getting around that. He is good, and he does good for his people. Maybe I need to smile more when I say that. God is good. He does good things. He loves you with an everlasting love, even though you are who you are. I wasn't pointing at anybody over here. I was just saying. (laughs) Living a life of thankfulness is a decision we must intentionally make. And let's be clear about what that is. Having a thankful heart is the equivalent of possessing an attitude of gratitude. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got an attitude of gratitude? Being thankful for what you have instead of feeling shortchanged with what you don't have. I'm going to say that again because that's, that's really good preaching, Pastor Barry, right there. That's good stuff. Being thankful for what you have instead of feeling shortchanged with what you don't have. Yeah, that's good. Thankfulness is possessing the ability to have appreciation 
for something or someone. It's the moment of true clarity when you realize the true value of something or someone and then you act upon that realization. The biblical account of the 10 lepers is, is great, the, the ones that Jesus healed. It's found in Luke 17, 11 through 19. All 10 lepers were healed, right? He said, they said, hey, will you have pity on us? And he said, hey, go show yourselves to the priests. And on their way, they got healed. But only one came back to thank Jesus. It says in verse 15 of Luke 17, it says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He didn't come back and be like, hey, Jesus, thank you. It was loud. He was shouting, he was excited, he was full of joy. He threw himself, how do you throw yourself? I mean, it's like, how do you do that, you know? But he threw himself at Jesus' feet. He threw himself down at his feet because he was so overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness, and he said, thank you, Jesus. He thanked him, he praised him, he was shouting. And then it says he was a Samaritan. He realized the value of what had just had happened. He appreciated it. He acted upon it by shouting praises to God. And this was a foreigner who had a thankful heart. And I say foreigner because if you understand what a Samaritan was, they were kind of like outcasts. They were the ones who probably would be the most likely not to come back just because of how they'd been treated by the rest of the Jewish community. They were, and I don't mean this just derogatory, it's just the truth. They were considered half-breeds in the Jewish culture. So for the next three weeks, I wanna challenge you to become one of those unique, dare I say, rare persons who actually live their life with a thankful heart. Because it's a lifestyle that you have to develop and work on all the time. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And like many areas within our lives, when, when God's word is followed, there are benefits that ensue. Walking and living out behaviors that are godly will always produce a harvest of blessing within your life. Isn't that true? When you walk in God's ways and you do what he says, blessings come just the way it is. And there are so many instances in the Word of God that talk about being thankful. Pages and pages. If you just Google it, how many scripture verses on being thankful, you will find pages and pages of them. Being thankful at the core, at the very center of who you are as a person will produce a harvest in your life that plays out in multiple ways, ways that will bless or benefit you. And I want us to uh, look at some of those benefits over the next few weeks and challenge you to really begin nurturing that attitude of gratitude, to truly live with a thankful heart. And what a great time of year to do this, to focus on nurturing our own hearts. The holidays are approaching and sometimes it's the hardest time of year to be thankful. But I'm here to tell you that the results, the harvest of walking in thankfulness, it's so worth it, church. It's so worth it. So let's get into some of these benefits, these blessings that become part of your life when you cultivate and nurture your heart to be thankful. And I'm just going to give you one today. Well, I might give you some side ones, but I'll give you one main one, all right? A thankful heart is an incubator 
for generosity. A thankful heart is an incubator for generosity. I, I want us to think about that word generosity for just a second. Wouldn't you agree that it's something this grab it and, and hang on to it culture that we live in? I mean, it's all about who can get what, how can we get ahead, in, 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 it's all over, right? It's like, how big is your house, how nice is your car, how, how, how nice are your shoes? What's, what's the deal with shoes lately? I don't get it. Pastor Donnie, you seem to have all these weird shoes lately. Um, but what's the deal with shoes? Not picking on you, bro. Uh, what's the deal with shoes? And kids, it's like, it's like a really big thing, having, having awesome kicks, isn't that what they say? Isn't that what the young people call it? Hey, I like your kicks. Is that how they say it? Yo, 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 I like your kicks. <laughs> Whitest man alive, right here. <laughs> we do live in a grab it and hang on to it, get ahead, I've got to get more kind of society, don't we? And we could use, our culture, our society could use a whole lot more generosity. It would be good for our culture to have more generosity flowing. There's no doubt. And let's face it, church, as the dark gets darker, the light gets lighter. We know that. As we move towards the end of this age, generosity toward one another and to those around us is going to be a huge part of building his kingdom until he returns. I believe that with all my heart. Generosity is a huge part of building his kingdom. In the years I've been in ministry, I don't think there's anything more mind-boggling to me than to think about the individuals who have given the most, be it financially, material, or even their time, talents, and energies while volunteering. The most gen generous people are not always the wealthiest people. They're also not the poorest, right? I, I would say that the amount of finances, material things, or even their time, talent, or energy has little to do the amount of those things that they have, the amount of their resources, whatever they may be, has little to do with a person's level of generosity as I look back over the years. Generosity is not determined by how much excess one might have. True generosity comes from a place in the heart, not from a, a bottom line on a financial report or the amount, of, the amount of unfulfilled time slots someone might have in their daily schedule. It doesn't come from that. Generosity is also not automatic for those individuals who have little. As if having a lack makes them morally superior enough to be inherently generous. It's just not determined by how much one has, whether it's a lack or an excess. So then where does it come from? Again, it's not birthed out of lack or excess, so where does it come from? Where does the idea of acting in a generous way find its start within someone's heart? And I believe it begins with a thankful heart. A thankful heart, thankful for what you already have. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a man named Philemon. The entire book of Philemon is, is in the Bible is one chapter. If you want to go home and say, man, I read a whole book of the Bible today, you could pick Philemon because it's one chapter. So you could do it in probably five, ten minutes. But it's an important book, it's included in the Word of God, and it has important stuff. But he wrote uh, this, this book, and, and the, it seems like the theme is, is centered around a slave named uh, 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 Onesimus. Onesimus. And apparently, Onesimus had run away from Philemon, 
possibly taking with him some of Philemon's belongings. Onesimus made it to Rome where he encountered Paul, who was in prison at the time. We don't know all the details, but apparently Onesimus was converted to Christianity through Paul's ministry. And and that's just amazing to me in itself. Here's Paul in Rome in jail, right? He's in jail, and his ministry still goes on, and people were getting saved while he was in jail. Incredible. And so he, he apparently encounters Onesimus and wins him to the Lord somehow, some way. And now Paul writes Philemon, who is, I don't know if you say the master of, of Onesimus, Onesimus, but he wrote Philemon in an, an appeal to his Christianity to forgive and forget and receive Onesimus back as a brother in Christ and not as just a runaway slave who had wronged him. Now, I understand that slavery, as we usually think of it, is not always the same thing as we see in the Bible, right? It is very probable that Onesimus was more like an indentured servant, working off a debt that he had, he had, had, toward, or he had with Philemon. But he ran off and didn't pay his bill. So Philemon, in in chapter 1, 6 through 7, Paul writes Philemon and says this, and I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity, say generosity, Generosity. that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Paul understood that being thankful for God's incredible blessings in Christ would result in an overflow of generosity expressed in a very tangible way. And he says here, I'm praying that you will act generously in this situation. The generosity that only comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have because of Jesus Christ, because we're in him. How many know everything you have is Jesus? It's all his. You got a wallet? You got a checkbook? You got credit cards? Take them out. Your credit card debt is not Jesus's, by the way. That's yours. It's your wallet, your checkbook, all your money. It's all his. Well, he didn't work for it. I did. Really? It's all his. You're just a steward of it, and he's found that you're a good steward, so he might give you more. It's all his. Look at your kids. Look at your spouse. Look at your family. You think those are yours? Well, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be here. No, if it wasn't for God, they wouldn't be here. It's all his, church. It is all his. You get to manage it. Well, I give my 10%. I give him what's his. All of it's his. He only asks that you get 10% back, right? It's all his. Did I say that enough? It's all his? I mean, some of you, Daniel, you're an amazing piano player. You, You can play circles around me, which is awesome. But you think that gift is yours? Or is it a gift that God gave you? Well, I own that. I practiced hard for that, I'm, and I know you did. But he still gave you the ability. There's people who can practice even more than you and never come close to playing the way you do. It's all his. 
That's where we have to start. And as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ, as you understand that it's all from him, as you understand that he gave it all to you, that's where generosity begins. Again, he says, I pray that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Thankfulness becomes an incubator to generosity. And, you know, this Onesimus, uh, he, he gets saved. He's done wrong. He's told Paul everything he's done, and he feels bad about it. And Paul writes back to Philemon and says, hey, this guy is not just a runaway slave anymore. He's a repentant servant of the Most High God. Receive him back in love and generosity. Don't throw him in jail for running away. I mean, I don't know what all the details were as far as how, how we don't know all the details of that story, but, but that's kind of what he's saying. Don't hold it against him. Don't lock him away and treat him with, with, uh, with, with uh, you know, revenge kind of thing for what he did. He did wrong. He knows it. He's a Christian brother now. Receive him back with generosity because you've been given so much. And obviously, that's, that's created a thankfulness within your heart. You're thankful for that. When you understand that every good gift is from above, that all you have be it money, time, talent, or material things, that they are all from God and owned by God and that you are a mere steward of those resources when you fully know that everything you possess are blessings from him, that's the equivalent, that's the place where a thankful heart begins to be birthed. And you, you, you can't understand that, that, that all good things we have from God are, are from God and then not have a thankful heart. That's impossible. You can't think, oh, everything I have and really understand and really know that it's from God and not be thankful. It forces thankfulness out of you. You know, I, I was challenged as I was thinking about this sermon because there's a lot of words and a lot of ideas and a lot of things rolling around in my head and things you'd read and different approaches that different commentaries and different preachers have said and all these different things. And I, I just got to think, there's so many times in the Bible it says to be thankful. How do you do that? You can't do that by just deciding, I will now be thankful. Thank you, Jesus. I am thankful now. It's not, it's like everything else in, in, in our walk with God. It doesn't come from the outside in. You can't make yourself be thankful, right? So what do you do? You pray and you ask God, God, reveal to me. Reveal to me. Show me. Help me understand that every good thing I have is from you. Help me understand that I'm a mere manager and not an owner. Help me understand that if I have more than someone else, it's not because I'm so great, it's because you have been so great to me. I, you, that's where thankfulness comes from because if you start understanding that, you can't help but be thankful to a God that has given you so much. It's just like an automatic thing. So thankfulness does not happen from like an outside action. We don't, we don't like do it because, because uh, from, from the out, outside in. It comes from the inside out. It comes from deep understanding. Are you following me this morning? Paul is saying to Philemon, you know that every, every blessing you have is from the Lord. You have a thankful heart. Put, it in, put into action the generosity that comes from that kind of faith. 
Come on, buddy. This guy just got saved. He goes on in his appeal to Philemon. As my brother in Christ, your love has given me such joy and comfort. I've seen how your kindness in the past towards your brothers and sisters in Christ has literally refreshed their hearts. So when you have the attitude that understands, church, that all good things we have come from the Lord, then the attitude of gratitude or thankful heart that you possess will compel you. It will compel you to be generous. A thankful heart is the incubator for generosity. Within, within, within kingdom people's hearts. It's kind of like a pay it forward thing. When someone does something nice for you and that thankful heart just wells up within you because of it, you don't even think about it and you find yourself doing something generous for someone else, don't you? It's the thankfulness within our heart that acts as the catalyst to produce the spirit of generosity that's then acted upon. I want you to turn to Acts 2, 42 through 46. I might be kind of trying to build a case here a little bit that thankfulness produces generosity. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 46. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This is the best revival verse you'll ever read in your life. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Do you see generosity in any of this? And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Is there anything about generosity in there? I mean, it screams generosity. It's dripping with it. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. I've often wondered how this verse could ever truly be lived out in today's society. I mean, let's be honest. The American church could never do this, right? We would never be able to share all that we had with one another just openly and freely and everybody just having no needs. I mean, it almost sounds politically like, like communism a little bit, doesn't it? Like, how did they do this? How did they just throw all their stuff together and say, it's all ours, it's all God's? I mean, it, it, it's generosity at the core. I mean, we can't operate the way we currently do as a church in America and ever expect to live this way. And honestly, I, I've, I've lived most of my life around church people. We would be trying to decide who deserves what based off of how much we thought they worked or deserved it. And don't get me wrong, uh, uh, when everyone is living right, everybody would be doing their part and lazy slackers wouldn't be a part of the scenario because they would have already eliminated themselves not sharing everything. I mean, sharing everything is even sharing your ability to work, right? So it's not like you're just giving to all these slackers. and the, It's not like that. But this is an amazing thing when you really think about it and meditate on it. How did they do that? Living so generously, making sure that no real needs among them were unmet. That verse has just really always baffled me. How did they live with such generosity towards one another? And then I saw what I 
had been reading, and I've probably read a thousand times, but it jumped off the page and made sense to me like never before. It was a, like a revelation to me. It's in the next verse, 42, or I'm sorry, 2, 47, first part of it. It says, all the while praising God. Praising God is thankfulness. It's joyful. It's a heart full of gratefulness. It's a heart of thanks. How did they do this? They were thankful. They were praising God, giving him the praise that was due him, praising him for all that had been given to them. All the good gifts that they acknowledged were from him. Uh, uh, thankfulness, a true heart full of thanksgiving towards God is the incubator for generosity. If they weren't thanking God for all they had, they would have never been able to live that way. Was the only, it was the only way they could live like that. And some of you may say, wow, I'm glad we don't have to live like that today. And maybe we don't have to. I'm not, I'm not condoning that. But I mean, that, 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 that is our choice, right? We can live that way or we don't have to. But look at what the rest of verse 47 says, 47b. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's revival, church. When God's people get right, they are revived. Amen? And the result is growth of his church, the expansion of the kingdom of God here on earth. Could it be possible that the revival we so many of us long for, the end times latter reign of the Holy Spirit, bringing the fields to maximum harvest potential, where, where we see thousands come to Jesus, could it be possible that a revival like that hasn't come because the people of God aren't cultivating thankful hearts which produce generosity within them? A generosity of all their resources, which are not really theirs anyway? Is that kind of generosity, is, is it that kind of generosity that becomes the pavement of the road in which revival is built? Make no mistake, revival, sustained revival, does take resources. It takes time, energy, finances, a giving over of talents, and I, I try to be careful when it comes to the institution of, the, of a church taking over my life. But the body of Christ, that, that church, the body of Christ, the big C church, I'll give everything I got. I hope, I hope you think that too. And I'm not saying I've always done that or that I always do it. But in my heart, that's what I want. I could give you story after story after story. George Beverly Shea, you remember that guy? He could have had an amazing career as a singer, laid it all down and gave it all to Jesus and sang for Billy Graham. Awesome story. If you ever find yourself reading it, you'll love it. Being thankful for what you have produces a generosity a generosity that could literally pave the road for revival. I saw that like I never saw it before. Am I saying that you should sell everything you have and give it to the church? I did not say that. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, he didn't say that. I didn't say that. Now you're like, oh, good. I thought you were going somewhere. I wasn't willing to go. I mean, this is going to be my last Sunday if you kept going down that road. 
But if Jesus told you to, would you do it? If Jesus said, I'm about ready to come back, but we got to win a whole bunch of people. We gotta, we, we gotta pool our resources together so we can pave that road of revival, if you will. Well, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need my money. Yeah, he doesn't need your money. Not nearly as much as you need to give it. Because it's that open heart. It's that willful heart. It's that thankful heart that says, man, everything I have, I give to you, God. I can't help but think of the story of Corey Tin Boom, who was in a concentration camp in Germany. Her and her sister got moved to this, this, this place that was awful, right? They got moved from one concentration camp to another, and they got put in this, this housing area, and, and what they did was they, were, they had this incredible openness to, like, to like have Bible studies and, and to, to, uh, to have prayer, and they weren't... They weren't uh, um, they weren't stopped from doing those things. In fact, the guards didn't come in and abuse them, physically or sexually, really, like they did other places. And here, what was going on, and this, she found this out later, they had been praying, and God had prompted them to thank him, and so they started thanking him for all they had in the midst of the concentration camp. They started thanking him because there was one issue at this particular place that they had really bad, and it was fleas. They all had fleas horribly. And so they started thanking God for the fleas. Well, they, unbeknownst to them, later they found out guards stayed away from all of them, be it abuse, be it even coming in there and stopping Bible study, because they didn't, themselves did not want to get fleas. You think about stuff like that, and, and I, then I think about the American church. I mean, we'd be at the altar and calling for the elders and everybody to come and pray for us if we couldn't get the flea infestation out of our house, right? Oh, God, I have fleas. Oh, my, help me. What are you doing to me? Why are you punishing me? I just, that attitude of, Murmuring, complaining about things that aren't good. And that wasn't good. I get it. But the other attitude of, thank you, Lord, for the fleas, because you must have a purpose. This life is not my own. I'm just passing through, and I know there's a heaven for me where there isn't going to be any fleas. So thank you, Jesus. I, I mean, it's just a completely different way to live. And, and the American church, I think... Although I'm not condoning that we sell everything we have necessarily and pool it together and do stuff, I, I'm not saying that. But, but I am saying we ought to look at this a little harder than what we do, and we ought to think about our own lives a little more than we do in reference to being generous. Our own stuff that we hoard. I think a missionary was... I uh, was talking to Pastor Calloway once. Pastor Calloway was over in the Philippines, and he goes, America's the only place that, that buys real big expensive cars, parks them in the driveway, and fills their garage with junk. Because <laughs> we have so much. That didn't even compute with them. Why, wouldn't you, why would you keep junk? Why not put, car in garage and put the car in the garage and uh, get rid of the junk? Storage units in this country is a business. What is store? It's where you store all the stuff that you're not using. But you must keep. 
Some of you have storage units. I'm not picking on you. You're just capitalizing. I mean, you're giving that money to Jesus. That's great. I love it. But isn't that strange to think about in reference to this? We come into this world with nothing, and we can take nothing with us. So all that we acquire while we live our lives might as well be used for the building of his kingdom here on this earth till he comes again. Someone might say, well, I don't work as hard as I do so that my own generosity deprives me of what I'm owed for the hard work. I get you. I hear you. I know something about long hours and hard work. But I also know that the book of Proverbs says this, the generous will prosper those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Instead of thinking about all that you're owed for all you do and all that you sacrifice, why not start thanking God for the ability that you have to work? You're obviously born healthy, healthy enough to get a job or run a business, create a business. Do you, do you really think that's because of you again? I mean, do you, do you think that's because you're so amazing? Or is it that God sought fit to give you the gift of hands and feet that work, that function? or a brain that is incredibly designed to make businesses successful, financially profitable? Is that talent you have to sing or play an instrument or create with your hands or hear musical pitch and tones that others don't have, is that, is that because you're so amazing or is it because you were given a gift by God that you should be thanking him for and not just patting yourself on the back for being the master of your own universe? Let's flip this attitude a little bit. Instead of complaining that you don't have a spouse or a family right now, oh gosh, Lord Jesus, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. Give me a spouse. I want to have a family. And I'm not mocking anybody in here who wants that. God will give you the desires of your heart. He really will. I'm not mocking you. But instead of complaining or murmuring or whining, because sometimes our requests can become that, right? Again, I'm not picking on you. I'm just trying to be truthful. Maybe you should thank God for all the extra time that you actually have to build his kingdom right now. How many know that kids take time? How many know that spouses take time? They just do. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, you can argue with me, but they take time. Some take more time than others. How many have one kid that takes more of your time than another kid? I'm seeing wives pat their husbands all over the place. I mean, I'm just, yep. They take time. Might just be that you start thanking God for what you have. He might give you what you want. Did you hear what I said? Start thanking God for what you have. Thank you for my singleness, God. I know right now it's for a season. I know you've placed in my heart a desire to be, to, to be married one day. And maybe he hasn't. Maybe your singleness is like, hey, I, I, I love being single. I'm going to be single the rest of my life. <laughs> you go. That's all right. We'll put you in the, in, the, in the category of the Apostle Paul. He changed the whole world because he was single. Not just because he was single, but that had a little bit to do with it. I'm not trying to pick on anyone here today. I just want you to understand that all the good stuff comes from him. We need to see our situations and the good in it. We need to thank him for it. We need to cultivate our hearts in a way that makes sure our first thoughts and actions are thankful. That goes for any situation. I mean, you're driving down the road and that guy cuts you off, and then another person cuts you off, and someone just about runs you off the road, 
And I'm talking to myself here more than anybody else, but you're like, come on, what are you doing? Learn how to drive, get a license. How many guys always assume it's a woman who's driving who does that right away? I, I do that sometimes. I'm sorry. I don't know why I do that. I just do. And then my wife laughs as I drive by and it's a guy, you know? <laughs> just being honest. What if our first thought was, Lord, that guy can't drive, but thank you that I can? <laughs> Is that a better reaction? I thank you, Jesus, that I am such an excellent driver that I will never do what that guy just did to me, to someone else. I mean, you can, you, can, you can say what you're thinking without being negative and murmuring or complaining. You can actually be thankful even in the midst of something horrific. Thank you for the fleas. Thank you, Lord, for the immense amount of common sense that you have bestowed upon me <laughs> when others seem to be lacking. A thankful heart is a healthy heart, church. And I, this is just maybe, you know, we're talking about generosity being a benefit of a thankful heart. But uh, here's a couple other benefits. I, I'm telling you, you, you want to fight depression in your life? Start a journal of thanksgiving. Write everything down that you are thankful for, and when those feelings of hopelessness try to overwhelm you, pick that thing up and begin to read all those things that you are thankful for. Just read them. Write down the list. If you struggle with being lethargic, anybody ever come home after work and just lay on the couch and like go into a comatose state? You're tired all the time. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired all the time. I don't know why I'm so tired. I might have mono. <laughs> a thankful heart gives you energy. Start thanking God for everything you have. It's invigorating. It, it really is. It'll get you energized. And I know I didn't qualify those last two statements, but medical, let me do it right now. Medical studies have been and, and are being done. And I, I've been reading about what, the medical, what medical science has found out about being thankful and physical and the physical and emotional benefits that come from it, from being thankful. This isn't even in the scripture necessarily, but it's true. Everything from re, re, uh, uh, relieving stress to improving your psychological health. They talk about it. Being thankful, have an attitude of gratitude, does all those things. It's been proven to cause the brain to increase the production of dopamine and serotonin. Thankfulness. Isn't it cool how God builds this stuff into us? And then we find out science does all these studies and they spend all this money and... You know, then they find out what God really was telling us all along. Be thankful. Then they pat themselves on the back for figuring it out. And like, oh, Bible. <laughs> Dopamine is, is a chemical that acts as the feel-good neurotransmitter within the brain. Naturally produced. Serotonin is the chemical that is naturally produced in our brain that is considered our, our, our natural mood stimulator. Okay, so I, I, my simple mind thinks this. Wow, how many in our church could use some natural brain-produced chemicals that make you feel good and stabilize your moods? Anybody need some mood stabilization? Nobody? Okay, I, I know a lot of people think, uh, you know, just by jokes and 
what people say, and you, know, you hear women have the mood swings, right? Generally speaking, I just want you to know, I'm going to be really honest. In our house, Pastor Barry is the one with the mood problems. <laughs> mood swings, like here, here. And I'm working on it, trust me. I'm working on it. But I read this and I was like, yeah, that's an answer. And I'm going to give my wife kudos for putting up with my mood swings. Yeah. I can't believe he's our pastor. He has mood swings. Look in the mirror, bro. <laughs> or sis. I give you permission, Lissa. The next time I have one of those, oh, I'm happy, and oh, I'm not happy anymore, and nobody knows why. Next time I have that, say, are you being thankful right now? <laughs> you have my permission. I promise if you say that, nothing will fly. I will zip my lip and take my medicine. I will do that. But seriously, when you speak thankful things into God, it does that in our bodies, our, our physiological bodies. That is an amazing thing, church. I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take some of the, the prescribed things that people, that doctors prescribe, sometimes that's needed, but maybe we should start with just the basic things the Bible talks about. Start there. Start there. Well, let me check what I'm saying. Let me check what's coming out of my mouth. Let me start being thankful all the time. Maybe I'll have so much dopamine, I'll be the, I'll be the feel-good guy. It's science. <laughs> and the Bible. It's science. That's what everybody says today, right? Well, I can say that because it's science. Well, I can say it because it's Bible. And it's science. All right. I've essentially said that generosity extended to others is a benefit of having a thankful heart. And I don't want you to miss the importance of generosity that generosity has within the culture. You know, in the movie, The Little Rascals, I love movies. I love little, I, I don't know why I remember things that movies, like quotes and stuff, but I remember this quote. Alfalfa says to his beloved Darla, Right? You like that little love story that they have going on? Uh, after they're in their courtship, he says, Darla, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is ours. <laughs> That's not the kind of heart that the world needs, right? A thankful heart will become the incubator of generosity, and generosity changes the world. We don't often think of it this way, but the most generous act that the world has ever seen is the act of Jesus Christ willfully dying on the cross for our sins. We don't usually attach the word generous to that. We know it's an undeserved gift. That's what we call grace. We know that it was a gift that saved us from what we do deserve, which is death and hell. That's what we call mercy, you know, not getting what we do, or do deserve. That's mercy. Getting what we don't deserve is grace. We know he paid the price for our sins. That's, that's why we say he ransomed us, right? We have all these words for it. But the entire thing, the act of love, which played out in his grace, mercy, and ransoming gift that it, that it, that it is and it was and is, it was nothing if it wasn't an act of generosity in our behalf. It was generosity through and through. He gave us everything, and we didn't deserve anything. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay, and I'm never going to have to pay it back. 
He didn't ask for anything in return. He just simply made it available to us all, and we can accept it or leave it on the table. That's generosity. His generosity changed the world. And when we are generous, we have the ability to change the world around us. That generosity can be difficult to muster up. But again, a thankful heart for everything you have, that becomes the incubator for that generosity, that kind of generosity. Thanking God for all we have puts everything into a right perspective. Grumbling, complaining, murmuring, allowing your first thoughts to be... uh, uh, of a negative nature, letting your words be dripping with contempt for everything. That's not a picture of how God's people ought to be. I wonder how many people were grumbling and murmuring after the results started coming in Tuesday night. I don't want to say what they were really saying. This is a church. And I don't say non-church words in church. Ever. But they murmur, they complain, they, all those things. I, that's not how God's people are supposed to live. Being thankful for all the good stuff you have. That's where we must remember to live. And beware, I'm, I'm just going to warn you right now. If you have a thankful heart, you start thanking God for everything, it will produce generosity within you. Maybe even enough to change the world around you. Let me end with this statement. Cultivating a heart of thankfulness changes you. The generosity that flows from your thankful heart will change those around you. Let's be world changers, right? Now, I have to ask in a group of people this size, there are more than likely individuals who have never received the gift that Jesus Christ offers to us all. So this morning, I I want to give you that opportunity. I don't know all of you here. I don't know everybody watching online. But I know this. Jesus Christ was overwhelmingly generous to every one of us. When he took our sin, whether we were going to accept him or not, he took our sin, he put it on himself, and he paid the price for it so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could even just have an opportunity He paid for everyone's sin, not just the ones, again, I said this already, but everyone's sin, not just the ones who would accept him. He didn't somehow go through and like, well, I know who's going to accept me and who's not, so I'll just pay for the ones that, no, the weight of the world's sin. Do you realize every foul person that's ever lived, every nasty thing that's ever done, you go to the worst of the worst people who have ever lived in the history of the face of the earth, he died for their sins. That's, That's hard for me to swallow. People who kill people, people who've killed millions of people. He died for their sin. What kind of weight, what kind of payment did that take? He was perfect, and he died for it. And you know, if you were the only one ever to live, if you were the only one ever to walk the face of the earth and you sinned, even in the smallest way, he would, die for, he would have came and died for your sin too. He cares that much about you. He's done what he has to do. The only thing left is to be thankful and receive that gift. Some of you have never done that. Some of you have done that, and you've even done it again and done it again and recommitted, and that's great. And maybe you need to recommit again this morning. Some of you, 
you know, you've done that, you're living for him, but maybe this morning this, this message is, is speaking to you a little bit, saying, you know what, I, I haven't been very thankful. I've been murmuring a lot lately. I've been complaining a lot lately, and I need to put the brakes on that and start thanking God for all I have. So I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, I want you to pray it with me. And the whole congregation can join in rededication too. And, and I'm going to add some things at the end about Thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I come before you this morning. I give you my heart. I thank you for your generosity that you extended to me on the cross. I know you've forgiven me of my sins, and I choose to live for you with all of my being. I want to walk in your ways. I want to have your thoughts, and I want to live the way that you intended me to live. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. From this day forward, my life has changed. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that every person in this room that knows you as their personal Savior God has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you, God, that for those that just prayed for the first time, that their name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there's a party in heaven going on for anyone that comes to Christ. And Father, as we've listened to your word and we've even considered your generosity on the cross, Lord, we want to be imitators of you and we want to be generous. People who change the world through their generosity. And God, I know, I, I believe your word bears out that that starts with a thankful heart. So God, help us cultivate that. We commit to you as a church. We commit to you, uh, really, the, the, the rest of the year and then on from there. But we commit, God, that we're gonna do an about face a little bit if we need to. And some of us need to. And start thanking you. We're gonna kick the negative talk the murmuring, the complaining, the whining. And we're going to start thanking you for all that you've given us. God, because we know that that's the incubator for generosity. And generosity can change the world. Lord, we love you. And we give you ourselves today once again as we have. Lord, help us to walk in that thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.